Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to our second retrospective series. For this retrospective series, we will be reviewing the Hannibal Lecter films, and this first review will be over Manhunter. I am your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan from Chicago. And as I said today, we are discussing Manhunter which was released August 15th, 1986, directed by Michael Mann, written by Michael Mann, based off of the book Red Dragon by Thomas Harris, starring William Peterson, Kim Greist, Brian Cox, Dennis Farina, and Tom Noonan. And this is the first installment in the Hannibal Lecter series. After this film came... Silence of the Lambs, I believe, in 1995, so there is quite a gap. Oh, I thought it was 91 that it came out. Okay, it, it might be 91. I don't remember. We'll, we'll discuss that further in the yep. next installment of, this, of the retrospective series. But nevertheless, between a five to like nine-year gap is still significant, you know? Right. And after that comes Hannibal, and then, interestingly enough, this film was remade in 2002 as Red Dragon, as it should have been titled. And the reason Manhunter was not called Red Dragon is because the producer, Dino De Laurentiis, had a film he produced, I think, the year before. It had Dragon in the title. That film was a flop, so he did not want to make audiences think that he was coming back with another Dragon film and kind of jinx it before it even came out. Right. But I'm just going to say, I am really looking forward to seeing the remake with Anthony Hopkins, Ed Norton, and Ralph Fiennes. Three major stars. I've heard it's very good, and I'm excited. Yes. So, this is Manhunter based off Red Dragon, and we will be doing Red Dragon here in a few podcasts. But, just a little information for you right off the bat. This film was... It had a budget of $15 million. Not too high, but not bad for back then. Yeah. But when it came out, the domestic box office, it only grossed $8.6 million. Yeah, it did bad. It did bad. As far as I could tell, there's no worldwide uh, box office information. It opened at number eight Ooh. with a $2 million opening weekend, and it was beat by The Fly, Aliens, Karate Kid 2, and Top Gun, all except The Fly had been out for months already. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> that is really bad poor showing yeah that's that's bad this is actually the lowest grossing in the hannibal lecter series yeah a movie called manhunter kind of sounds mysterious but it, it doesn't doesn't have the same name as the thomas harris novel and i really think the only reason the hannibal lecter series has any sort of fame is because of anthony hopkins yeah definitely because of science of the lambs that one was freaking huge when it came out that was huge and we will definitely discuss that more next podcast i'm excited for that one we are excited for that one yes that's the silver lining to this retrospective yeah. <laughs> but and that clearly was a huge major film but this one i don't know i'm i'm ready to jump into this we ready to go i'm i'm ready to go let's go okay so we get an opening shot i i don't know what it is i don't know it's kind of it's it's not the opening shot where he's walking up the stairs, but it's like the title sequence and is it teeth or something? I don't know. Yeah, it's something like that. It's 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 really kind of weird. Okay, but it is very eerie. Yo. I was very yeah very freaked out when we get that opening shot up the stairs yeah. in someone's bedroom. I'm like, Ooh. yeah, when this opened, I was like, oh, 
Oh, goodness, this is freaky. Did this remind you at all of Sinister? Oh, my gosh, yes. I put that in my note. Reminded me of Sinister. Yeah. Sinister just ripped this off. They did. Like, when I was watching this, I was like, he's, like, walking up the stairs, you know, and he's, like, he has, you know, showing the stairs and the toys and stuff and the music and everything. Yeah. Reminded me so much of Sinister. I was like, this is freaky. There's a sequence in Sinister where there's some kind of yeah. Super 8 tape and it's filming up the stairs. Nearly the same thing. Uh, Sinister goes the whole way and shows the kill, though, whereas this doesn't. We see the after effects, which might actually right. be right. more effective. I don't recommend Sinister. I'm just going to say that right now. That one is pretty uh, pretty intense there. Yeah. And after that, we get an opening credit scene with a blue background and yeah. it's silent. After that home video and then it's silent. That made me feel uneasy. So I'm already starting off this movie uneasy. Especially as it goes along. When it gets when it gets to a certain point, it starts getting really weird and things get mm. things get strange. And yeah, mm-hmm. this movie is definitely pretty unsettling. At least in the opening, I would say. Yeah. Unique choices. Unique choices were made. And I said this is directed by Michael Mann, and I've seen a few Michael Mann films, the most prominent, most famous being The Last of the Mohicans. Ah, yes. Which is a very famous, Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, he's won a, like, a couple Academy Awards or been it's nominated classic. a few times. I have faith in Michael Mann, he knows how to direct. Uh, the cinematographer, I felt, did a really well done job, and also the music for this is really, I I, I liked it. I'm glad to part with you there because I wasn't a big fan of the music, honestly. Really? Really? <laughs> yeah, okay. It, it was a bit too 80s for me. Like, at points, okay, I'll say this. At points in the movie, I felt like it really worked. Like, the opening yeah. sequence, I felt it worked really well. Yeah. Later on, a couple points in the story, I felt like the music worked really well for the mood. But for the, for the rest of the movie, other than just certain points, I just I didn't like it very much. Hmm. But the cinematography, although, is great. I do like it here. It's very good. Yes, and honestly, this music reminded me of Blade Runner. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet. Alan hasn't seen it. That will be that will be a series in its own with those five different cuts I want us to review. <laughs> oh, gosh. But it, it really was reminiscent of Blade Runner, almost to the point of, well, I don't know which came first now. I don't know whether Manhunter or Blade Runner came first. I'm pretty sure Blade Runner came out early 80s. Yeah. Well then, though then probably yeah. Blade Runner was first, and it's almost to the point of plagiarism with how similar they are. And I've heard other people say that too. They're like, "This is Blade Runner music." Blade Runner came out in '82. Okay, so Blade Runner was first. So four years later is when Manhunter mm, came out. So I don't, I don't know why they essentially just <laughs> took the Blade Runner score and transplanted it here. But honestly, there's a point where I'm like, I'm really digging this score. Yeah. I'm just really into it. But like Alan said, there is points where it's like, oh, man, we get it. Okay. You know, I think using a synth there or something. Um, but also something that I think ups the stakes right away is Will is a father and husband. Which yeah. I'm surprised. We don't really don't see that kind of stuff. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And yeah. there's definitely a conflict that they play later in the story as well. I, I like that. Yes. Now, whether that really pays off, we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll, be, we'll talk about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, Joanne Allen's here in the credits. I oh. noticed that. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention her. My yeah. bad. <laughs> I mean, this is like one of her first movies, I think. But seeing her in the credits, I was like, hey, I know her. She's from the Bourne trilogy. Yeah, and will we get to her? She is surprisingly cute. Awkwardly, yeah. She's awkwardly cute. <laughs> I thought so, because, like Alan said, we're she's probably best known for being in the Bourne films. Those are huge films, and she plays a pivotal role in the Bourne supremacy and the Bourne ultimatum. Well, she's an older woman there, so, no, not as attractive. But here, she's <laughs> yeah. young. She's she's cute. I thought she was cute. I was like, well, 
Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I was like, hmm. And she's blind in this one. And she's blind. That threw me off, yeah. We'll get to that in a second. She played a nice blind girl. Yeah. But we also get this character of Jack Crawford, which we do get in Silence of the Lambs, but he's different person. Right. So really different. They're pretty, they don't even look the same. I don't, it's really interesting how this series has a knack for like recasting everyone or just maintaining the same characters throughout, but not doing anymore. And I'm pretty sure this is the only time we see, we don't see Will Graham in Silence of the Lambs or Hannibal. And he does, he is the main character on the Hannibal television series played by Hugh Dancy, I'm going to say. He's got a cool house. I'll just, I'm going to throw that out there. It looks out at the yes, whole ocean. He does. I am so jealous of his house. <laughs> Very nice beachfront property. I guess I really wasn't going to bring this up. When I went and read about it on Wikipedia, they talked about how the cinematographer used different tints throughout. And like this scene we're talking about, how he's looking out at the ocean. It's a very yeah. blue tint. Yeah, I I noticed that. And I have that down in my notes that there are, I like the colors in this mm. in this movie. There's different points where the color just really pops. And I like that a lot. Yeah, there there's quite a bit of that. Uh, I felt it worked fine with the movie. I didn't I didn't read into it too much. I know some people didn't prefer it, but interesting yeah. choice nonetheless. Because normally we don't see that heavy of tinting in right, movies, right. With scenes and stuff. At times, I've seen like indie movies really oversaturate their colors, you know, mm, yeah, for effect and stuff. Here they don't oversaturate it, but they get to a point where it's like a little bit over the edge, so you notice that there's a lot more color there, yeah. but it doesn't detract from the movie, right? I like that. So Will is called back into his line of work, and he goes to the house. And I was thrown off because the shots of him walking up the stairs and like looking in the bedrooms are the exact same shots. Yeah. Minus the people being there. At first, I was like, I know what this is happening. I figured this movie out. It's going to be this guy. This guy's the guy. Uh, like Our main character is the guy who's going to be the villain. I couldn't have been more wrong. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, I guess I was close because... I mean, we'll talk about it in a second, but he kind of gets himself into the mindset of the villain. Yes. And I thought it was a really nice way of drawing the parallel between Graham and the killer, which yeah. will be nicknamed the Tooth Fairy. Right. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, too. And it definitely goes more into depth with that that parallel, too, that he can, like, get himself kind of in the mindset yeah. of the villain and, like, figure out what he was doing there and why he was there and stuff. Yes, and I did have a little foreknowledge of the character of Will Graham coming into this. I have seen the first seven episodes of season one of Hannibal, which is insanely graphic. I I really couldn't keep watching it. It was just too upsetting and graphic for me. But yeah. he does the same thing in that show. He like visualizes and almost like puts himself in the killer mindset. As if he is right. the killer, which helps him solve the crime. So I knew that coming in, and I thought that was interesting how with this original movie, they kind of drew from that for the current TV series. Uh, I have yet to see the show Hannibal. I know they released it. I just haven't watched it yet. Yeah. We'll touch on that a little more with our Hannibal review. Right. But there is one point in this when he's like, look, walking through the house, he's like, wait a minute. And it's when he uses the sink. Oh, I was just yeah. like... But you're on a crime scene. Why would you, why would you, I understand he's walking around and trying to figure things out, but why would you use the sink? You know, yeah. that, that's like, that's kind of, kind of weird. Well, especially he's not wearing gloves either. Right. He's not wearing gloves at all. And he like drinks like straight from the faucet. Yeah. That's a good point. Maybe I'm, I mean, my only guess is that they already swept the thing for fingerprints and such, but 
doesn't that isn't revealed till later in the film right what they found so it's surprising this this bloody room he is in yeah i i was i almost couldn't look at the screen like i i kind of looked away it was i was really shocked i was like whoo yeah i saw it i was like ooh, because it definitely shows how brutal the villain is here yeah that's exactly it It i was i mean you see over the top gore in other movies and it's like almost so over the top and unrealistic it leaves nothing to your imagination and it just seems kind of fake and not that upsetting this was way more impactful than i don't know a rob zombie movie or something yeah and i like this because we don't really ever see the villain we see like him walking up the stairs or whatever and then next we know the, the guy people that are in the house are dead but we never get to see how he does it and then when we finally see you know what happened in the in the rooms it's like ugh, it's really unsettling because we see all this blood on the walls and everything and we see how how graphic this guy was with whoever he was killing you know it's just it's really unsettling i thought it really worked for the villain's character but at the same time was really disturbing absolutely i mean disturbing to the extreme it is grisly so yeah and it really leaves uh it really leaves what the killer actually did up to the viewer's imagination which is like far more horrible than probably showing it oh yeah and this is something the movie definitely carries along for as long as it can is like they're talking about the villain yes but they never show the villain until a certain point in the movie and when he's like finally revealed, you know, yeah. but the whole movie kind of just like they're talking about this villain and what all he's done, everything and how they speculate what he did to kill him, everything, you know, but we never get to see it. And I like that because we don't ever, we don't know who this villain is. And that makes it a lot more freaky because we've never seen him up until a certain point in the movie. And when we do see him, he's, you know, match all those descriptions. Right. But at the same time, the movie also does this with almost a lot of other things too in the movie. It doesn't fully explain to you what's happening it engages its audience in a way where they have to think because there's so much in this movie that they had to go through. They don't, they just don't take time to explain a couple of things. Mm-hmm. It does get kind of muddled. It really at, does. At some points. It really does. I, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it too much. In fact, I found it really interesting when they were like just doing things. I had to figure out why they're doing things. Yeah. But at the same time, it definitely could be very confusing. It really is. So if you're going to watch this movie, I highly recommend putting subtitles on. So you can follow. Make sure you're awake too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> a lot of things happen, and they happen quickly sometimes. And if yeah. you're not keeping up with them, you will get left behind. If you're not keeping up with them as quickly as the pace is going, which is odd, which is which is weird, because yeah. they move so quickly and they're like, you know, doing different things. They're really trying to scramble and find this killer, right? But yet the pacing sometimes, it, like after a while, the pacing just slows down. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little more. But that's kind of weird to yeah, think about. Yeah, we will. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, the movie does is really weird in the way that it's presented. And we'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, I, I agree. It, it's got some really weird pacing mm-hmm. when it, in terms of revealing information. So, yeah. And honestly, I like the character of Graham. After a while, I'll, we'll kind of talk about that a little more. But mm-hmm. I thought he was kind of awesome. He just was like figuring things out and yeah i do kind of wish that the movie would take a bit more time to explain how he can get himself into this mindset and it does kind of do that later in the film kind of gets like it to explain but when we first see him like in the room and stuff and then like him imagining things of how the killer did what he did you know and him you know figuring it out it's kind of confusing and a bit weird at first i thought because it's just out of nowhere. It doesn't really explain too much about what he's doing until it, you know we figure it out, and then it's explained later. Yeah. I mean, clearly he's supposed to be 
the best since he was he quit right and it was necessary for his superior jack crawford to call him back in and solve this case because they couldn't get it and so he's clearly awesome at what he does and i liked him at first he just seemed kind of like an awesome guy he had a really unique right. look with like this gray grayish hair and beard and stuff right right yeah definitely and i did like the sequence um when he's like in front of the tv and he's just like you can just see like the wheels almost moving. Like he's like slowly yeah. like, picking out certain aspects of the videos he's watching, like figuring out the puzzle pieces. And I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah, I like that too. I think it was at that point when I started to realize what he was really doing. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, he's getting stuff of the mindset of the villain because when he starts like, yelling at the TV, I was like, whoa, bro. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was starting to laugh a little bit. But then I was like, oh, wait. I started to piece it all together. I was trying, but at that point, I was figuring it out. You know, well, when he when he starts yelling at the TV or yelling at something, then it gets a little cheesy. Yeah, I do agree. It is mm-hmm. kind of cheesy, but at that point, I was trying to figure things mm-hmm. out. Yes. What do you think of the title of Tooth Fairy? They're calling him the Tooth Fairy. What do you think of that? I think it's kind of a weird title. Like, I at first I was a bit confused as to why they're calling him the Tooth Fairy. It doesn't really ever explain why. I was lost too. Um, they made a model of the bite marks. He, yeah. he would bite the victims or something, and they were showing his his teeth and like these like the canine teeth or whatever they are. They didn't look right, so I'm like, what? That can't be a human mouth. That's not right. Yeah, it, it was. It's kind of weird. It's kind of muddled. I like I said, it, this movie you have to watch it one or two more times to fully understand this movie. I feel like. Yeah. I won't I won't try and work it out now and explain it because I don't so yeah it's it's a it's a very dense plot I'll give it that very dense plot it is and one of the plot elements they decide to kind of utilize I guess which uh, I don't know I don't know how to feel about it uh they talk about Graham says his act fuels his fantasy his motive is in his dreams and there's a lot about dreams in this movie and we get graham having dreams uh the tooth fairy has dreams i don't know there's a scene that i felt they really captured it here in a little bit with the score that really kind of captured this really weird dream-esque quality but something i liked was with that weird reporter with the funky hair and he's just like mr cool and i love it when graham just flips him onto that yeah Yeah, he just the guy's like trying to talk to him, just takes him, just flips on the car and like shatters the windshield. I was like, "Dang, that's crazy." Yeah. Okay, do you know who this reporter is? No. Okay, I didn't know who it is until I listened to now playing's review of it, and they revealed who he was, and I was shocked. You're gonna be shocked. Who is it? He is that tough general from Avatar. No way. That's him. You know, with like the scars, and he's always working yeah. out. He's like, yeah, that's him. You're kidding me. No, that's the reporter. There's no way. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I was shocked. And then I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, that, I guess that kind of does look like him. And I'm like, dang, he, I'm glad he changed because he's kind of a wimpy, weird punk. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, there's no way. He's such a wimp in Manhunter. He is. And and his voice gets deeper. And his voice is deeper for Avatar. He's like way more built. He's like tough. I, I don't know. That's cool, though. Completely different guy then. Jeez. Yeah, I would never have guessed that. <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> but, and okay, we get our introduction to Brian Cox. Mr. Yeah. Dr. Hannibal Hannibal. Lecter himself. Yes. At first, since I've seen Sounds of the Lambs a couple of yeah. times, I was like put off by this. Yes. Like, this is kind of weird. But I, 
I told myself at the beginning of this movie, like, okay, I'm going to go in like I've never seen Silence of the Lambs before. I did the same thing. I feel like it helps a lot more because I would have completely just threw this guy out. I was like, no, nah, this guy's not Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. There was no way because he takes a completely different take on him. Yes. And it is hard to come in with a fresh mindset and act like right. you've never seen an, an iconic Academy Award winning performance before that just has the bar like unreachably high. And for those listeners who don't know, Brian Cox played Hannibal Lecter before Anthony Hopkins. He was the very first on-screen representation of right. the very iconic Hannibal Lecter. And for whatever reason, in this movie, his last name is spelled wrong. That was weird. But I got to say, I after warming up to him, I do like him as Hannibal Lecter. I didn't mind him at all. Yeah, and I agree. I did warm up to him. Anthony Hopkins, no, he's unbeatable. Anthony Hopkins, I feel like, does do a better job here. But there are there are definitely points where I feel like this Hannibal Lecter grew me a lot more than the last one did. Yeah, and I would say for this movie, the performance worked. Yeah, it did. I'm not sure if it would have worked as well if the Anthony Hopkins, if he was transported into this. I don't know if it would have worked as well. It's just It definitely wouldn't have. Because it really worked. I, I'm, okay, I don't want to discuss this too much because we will with Silence of the Lambs, but we have to right, draw this comparison right, right now. He was a little more suave because he was dealing with Clarice, who was a woman, and he was a little more elegant and suave. Whereas with Graham, they've already had this past. Graham is the one that busted him and actually put him in prison. Right. And right. are we supposed to take this as a as Silence of the Lambs as a true prequel to Manhunter? I, see, when I watched this movie, I was kind of thinking maybe it's just like a movie on its own. Right. I know that's a prequel, but I was thinking, okay, if this was if Silence of the Lambs never happened and this was essentially the Silence of the Lambs, I like this. I thought it really worked. But comparing it now that I've seen Silence of the Lambs, and that one's definitely the superior, and I'm trying not to make too many comparisons with Silence of the Lambs because it comes later and stuff, you know? Yes. But I do feel like I do feel like this movie works for what it for what it has, at least in this scene. And I do really like I'll get I'll touch on this maybe a little bit later, but I do really like that there's a there's a pass between Graham and Hannibal Lecter. I like that too. Yeah. And I like how Graham talks about Lecter's published articles and he calls him Doctor and he just has a really interesting demeanor. It's just like this almost level of mutual respect. And we right. know Hannibal is smart because he was a doctor and he has all these published articles and he can clearly figure things out. We see him do some kind of cool stuff later on. But yeah, I really do. like the exchange between them. And I like how, how Hannibal's like, oh, so you caught me, therefore you think you're smarter than me. And Graham's yeah. like, no, I'm not smarter than you. You just had like a weak spot or a weak point. We learn about that later. Right. And right. this is one, I don't know. I don't know if you were paying attention or if you would not really thought about the score, but do you remember the score in this scene? I really liked the score in this scene. Yes, I do remember the score. Very little bit of it, but I do remember I did like it. Was it was really unique. I, I was really trying yeah. to think of adjectives to describe it. It was this kind of dreamy, tingly, curious, probing sense. And I, I don't know, it worked really well. So that score, I felt really kind of propped up the scene even more. And, and yeah. yeah, Cox did grow on me. I wrote Cox is creepy when he has his hands crossed and he's like arched over the bed on his tiptoes and he's just like, he's just sitting there. I don't know. He he did really work in this movie for me. Yeah. I, I, I liked him. I, I mean, I feel like if we were to take Anthony Hopkins from the other one and put him in this one, it, it wouldn't have fit at all. No. Those are two completely different tones of movie. Yeah. But yeah, no, I feel like it definitely, he definitely worked here. And I, like I said before, I really liked that they have a relationship 
Cox and Will have a have a good relationship in this um, that works really well for the film because it's the thing that made him quit. Well, it made it made Will quit what he was doing and then had him come back because he's the one who he's the one who busted him. And we get later in the movie, there's a big psychological battle between him and Lecter that happened a while back, mm-hmm. and why he almost like almost went insane because of what happened between him and Lecter. And he does not want to be here at all, but he knows that he has to stop it exactly. or whatever, ha- whatever's happening, you know? Yeah, exactly. I like that a lot. I really like that dynamic. And I'll, I'll go on to say that um, I, th- I think this is one of the things I do like better than Science of the Lambs because our main character has a relationship with one of the villains in the story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that really works with the story. And Science of the Lambs, we do get the movie builds that relationship. But I, f- I just feel, I just feel like it works better here. Mm. Either way, in Sounds of the Lambs, it works. Mm-hmm. But I, f- I just like this bun better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we also get an incredible back and forth shot that really works and plays with the dynamic that Alan and I have been talking about about their past. Because we right. get a shot of uh, bars and we see Lecter behind the bars. But then it cuts to Lecter's perspective and we see Graham behind the yeah. bars. And I'm like, oh, that is so well done. I am like, who is in charge? Who is in the, – the shot just kept cutting back and forth. And it just really shows that, like, game of mind chess. Yeah. Uh, I was really impressed with that shot and the music. So this is this is one of the best scenes in the movie. I would agree, yeah. This is definitely one of my favorites of the movie. Yeah. And we also get Lecter say, we're just alike. And I'm like, oh, that's – Yeah. That really drives it home right there. And Lecter also asked a really interesting question. He said, what were the yards like for the victims? Right. That's a really interesting note. Hmm. And it it factors in later, but okay. But also in this, Lecter says a lot of things that I was just confused on. Like what? Well, he was talking about the moon. And then I I talked with my dad who was watching it with me and the killer only kills, he kills on a lunar cycle. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I was confused about that too. Cause more than one time the movie mentions a full moon. I was like, full moon? Kills on a lunar cycle. Yeah. Okay. And also if you noticed in his, in his apartment or wherever house, I don't know, he had like pictures of the moon on this like wall or door or something, the moon in phases. So I was like, oh, okay. okay. That's. Yeah. I I didn't put, I was one of the things I was confused on, but I get it now. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And we get a shot a little later where I was kind of confused, but I think what Lecter was doing was like circumventing the phone system so he could call an outside line or something or call the online. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I was like, wait, so they're not monitoring his calls? Is- okay, it was stupid. Why would he get calls in the first place? Why would he get that privilege? I mean, okay, I understand why he would get calls. I get that part. The part I just don't get don't. is that they're just not monitoring it. And I understand. I get that he can break into the phone and then rewire it. Yeah. Um, I would get that part. I don't know. The part that just had problems with was that no one was monitoring his calls. And no one came in to stop him, you know? Yeah. I, I just, I mean, he's like a, he's like in a hardcore psycho killer who's in prison for life probably. And I'm like, right, I don't right. think those kind of people get phone calls, but I right. guess I mean, he does. And then he tells the operator too. He is just like, operator, I've lost use of my hands. Can you dial this number that for me? That was fun. Then how did you pick up the phone? I you know, know, it's so much fun. <laughs> but yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's kind of cool. Yeah, and so then through this sequence, we find out that Lecter gets Graham's address. And that's why he shouldn't get calls. 
Right. And be monitored. I thought it was super smart. I was like, oh, I get it. That was scary, though. Why is he getting calls? Why? How did nobody monitor this? You know, yeah, it was it was weird. Yeah. It's really interesting. And we get a very artistic scene. I can tell Man and his cinematographer are trying to be very artistic with this film. Yeah, uh, they are. We get a, what is it, a kind of a dream sequence from Graham. And it's like blurred in parts. There's slow-mo. Uh, there's no audio except for the soundtrack. I don't know. I didn't mm-hmm. understand it at all. But yeah, this is this is on the plane, yeah. right? Oh my yeah. gosh, I was mad at this scene. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- at this point, it's like, <sighs> okay, but you know, okay. I think I understand what was happening here. Basically, what happens is he's trying to, you know, he's been sitting, spending all this time imagining himself as the killer, and then he's now imagining what would happen if it happened to his own family. You know, mm-hmm. I guess that makes sense. That's what I read about it. Is what if the killer? got to his own family now that he's doing the investigation now yeah uh, i was just frustrated because he left those horrific photos out for that little girl to see and i'm like oh my gosh but not this that though he's looking at top secret information on a public airline like yeah. for real dude hello well like, I, I just felt so bad for that on. little girl yeah i know gosh. and then yeah and then yeah and she he's looking at top secret information and then he gets to a point where he's looking at the really like gruesome pictures oh. and the girl looks over and like flips out obviously <laughs> because they're you know they're freaking graphic <laughs> but it's just like dude why would you look at those on a plane yeah. this is a public airline no one should be knowing about this stuff know. you know and then just fall asleep with them laying out there yeah that was kind of aggravating that was aggravating i mean i guess it's kind of going to show he's kind of getting obsessed with the case a bit more like, he's really wanting to get this case figured out. I mean, I get that part, but, yeah, just him looking at that kind of stuff on the point is just no. Yeah. And, I okay, <laughs> I did not dig the soundtrack while he's in the woods looking at the house um, yeah. when he's going to climb the tree and everything. So, there, you're, I agree. There are points where I was like, I do not dig this. And yeah, that that was dreamy. one of the points where I was like, I don't know about this. I don't know about the score. Yeah. And did you notice all the victims? This movie was also very artistic and modern. Yeah, it's it was. like everything was white and everything was very. Yeah, I guess that's the word for it, modern or something. I was just, it's interesting. I was kind of like, hmm. And and I I did read that man was kind of criticized for some of those artistic choices, making it a little too modern and white. And I don't know. Right. I mean, I I feel like it's fine. I have no problem. In fact, I think I like it mm. here. That if they weren't here, you know. Yeah. I did think it was funny when Graham's up in the tree and he's yelling like pointing at the house and he's like you killed her didn't you you did it <laughs> yeah 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 like i like i said before it i do like that he gets himself in the minds of the villain but it is kind of kind of wonky over the top i'd say mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and we also get another character who we will see play a more prominent and annoying role but it works in silence of the lambs we get dr chilton right yeah and he hasn't he has that scary note yeah from the Tooth Fairy to Hannibal. Right. This is when they take that note and they just go crazy over it. Yeah. I actually do like this scene a lot. Yeah. They're really taking this note seriously. They're like, okay, do not touch it with your bare hands. Yeah. That was you nice know, be see. very careful with it. They figured out at this point what, you know, what Hannibal or the, how the note came in. Mm-hmm. They know that it's serious. And if he were to find out, that's just bad news. And it's a pretty macabre note it gives you a very macabre very chilling feeling when oh yeah he's writing this note he's like what i am becoming and right i don't know so th- i i just like here there's like a, so much potential though i feel with mm-hmm. the psyche of this killer very disturbing very wacky 
and I'm wanting more of this. I'm like, oh gosh, this is really disturbing and creepy, but I want right, more. Right. I want to know more. And he has like bite marks into the note at the end. And it was cool how they're trying to solve that. And they're like, oh no, it's too late. And the, like the pen, he's like scratched, ripped it off with a pen or something, which that we couldn't right. track or something. So that was fun. Yeah, I, I like this scene a lot. And I'm, I do like how they don't give too much away. No. They give enough away, but they don't give too much away. Enough for the audience to think about it. I, I do like, there, there's a point in this movie where the movie does do this a lot, where it just, it gives enough information away, but not too much, where you can sit there and think about it and draw your own conclusions and think while the characters are trying to figure it out as well. Yes. And it kind of helps you, like, weave yourself into the story. I do like that. Yeah. At, at a certain point, though, I'm like, okay... You need to be giving me more. and But honestly, okay, I checked the time at 41 minutes in, and mm-hmm. I'm like, this isn't as exciting or really as intriguing as I was hoping it was going to be. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And maybe that's just because I'm used to Silence of the Lambs. But this, it had nice sequences, and it was really building nicely with the detective mm-hmm. aspect, but I was hoping for a little more intrigue on my part. But I stuck with right. it. I stuck with it. I, I decided to keep going. And my intrigue did peak back up when we got the uh, those Bible verses. Right. Yeah. I saw that. I was like, hey, those don't sound like real Bible verses, though. That was pretty cool, though. Yeah. And then they figure out that it's, you know. What is not. It's like a code. And we're just like, oh, I, I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was cool. Does it ever pay off, though? Um, I don't remember. I don't even remember I what they did with it. I can't tell you. This movie has so much stuff in it, I can't remember. It had something to do with Lecter's books, I think, that he had in his cell, and they are trying to go to the Library of Congress, and I was like, oh, I'm intrigued, yeah. and then it just trickled off, and I don't remember anything they did with it. They do something with it. I can't tell you what it is, because there's too much in this movie that I was focusing else on. Yeah. I'm sure it pays off somewhere. But I, I couldn't tell you where. There's just too much in this movie. Well, I will say <laughs> these letters, these correspondence letters and sending them to newspapers and stuff really reminded me of the Zodiac Killer and then also the Zodiac film. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Fincher, which had a nice cast of stars. Yeah. The only problem is I like Zodiac better. And I was kind of sitting there like, even though Zodiac is actually much longer than this film, it, it's mm-hmm. I found it to be more intriguing and it really kept my interest. So That movie keeps its pacing a bit better than this one does. It does. I'll say this one is definitely like a cop investigation story. Right. And those usually don't go very fast and have a lot the audience has to really think about. Mm-hmm. So in that aspect, I liked it. I, I think it worked better for this film because this film is building to be a cop investigation story, True. you know. True. So it uses that to a disadvantage. Yeah. That's important to know going in. Yeah, very important. Make sure that if you haven't seen this movie, first off, why are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> um, but no, for real though, you just have to know this is not, if you've seen Silence of the Lambs, this is nothing like Silence of the Lambs. This is different. This is an investigation, not Silence of the Lambs, which is a bit different. It takes that investigation story and takes it on a different turn. This one is just a pure investigation cop story. Yeah. I mean, honestly, at first I was like, oh, it's one of these. I never do good with these, you know. <laughs> And then I started really thinking about it and trying to get myself really into the story. And I, as the movie went on, I was getting more and more invested because I was trying to figure out what was going on. I feel like the movie did a good job. And we'll get into that later. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm glad you were. Well, you were getting into yeah. it. <laughs> the, movie was, the movie was giving me enough for me to think about but not understand completely everything. And I like that. We'll, we'll get to that later. We'll touch on that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scene right after this when Graham says, we'll bait him with me. And another guy says, I don't think that's a very good idea. And the shot just lingers mm-hmm. there. 
And so I just started cracking up. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> yeah. I'll, yeah, I think it was it. supposed to be a I think it was supposed to be a joke or something, but yeah, I didn't remember that. That was pretty silly. Yes. And we do learn of this creepy serial killer's background, but it's just not enough for me. I don't know. Something wasn't working for me. And I did not understand the bit about the red dragon. I didn't understand that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember See, it. But I, I honestly don't think it's very well explained. And I and I've heard that I'm just going off of what Stuart said in Now Playing's podcast because he read the book and then watched the movie. Right. And he said that they really weren't going off of the killer in Thomas Harris's novel. And that's why it's not called Red Dragon because he's really – we get that like really quick painting and shot of the Red Dragon and something which is a famous painting. Right. But there's just a lot left to be desired and unexplained. With this, they bring it up and then they drop it. So I'm really hoping with the with the film Red Dragon, we're going to get a lot more of that. Right. I know that they do talk about Red Dragon a couple of times later in the film. I remember that part. Maybe I didn't catch those later on. But right. I didn't right. get it. Uh, I did think it was pretty funny when Graham is walking alone at night and we see it's like an old Western showdown or something. And mm-hmm. the, the supposed killer is coming and I knew it wouldn't be him. Because yeah, I, I yeah. was still a little bit on to, on edge. It was still a little intense, but it's kind of cliche for it not to be him. And they just like just throw right. him on the ground, and it's this poor black guy. And yeah, I just got mugged. I'll say this: I do like this scene, but at the same time, nothing really happens here either. So no, it's cliche. Yeah, but we do get we do get to finally finally see the tooth fairy. Honestly, I feel like this was a good introduction to this villain. Yeah, I like this introduction. We've been talking about him for about an hour now and then we don't know when he's going to show up mm-hmm. in the whole time at first i was like okay then i'm just not going to show him till the end you know and then out of nowhere there's like oh yeah here's the villain yeah they just pop him right in i was like okay at first like that's kind of weird yes but then i thought about it, i was like you know what i think i like this introduction and you know and he's apparently super strong he like lifts the reporter up off the ground and he's really tall yeah his voice is so chilling and calm and oof. yeah and i gotta say i i really like this scene it's freaky it is and you and it's like a slow uh zoom out you see his like face and pantyhose or something yeah he's just got a very weird apartment he's got this guy strapped in a poach chair uh oh gosh i messed that wheelchair and i was gonna yeah. say and he <laughs> thinks he's poetic with his like words and everything yeah yeah it's creepy it freaky creepy and he lights him on fire like a fire yeah. breathing dragon Lights him on fire and pushes him, yeah, down, like, what is that, the parking lot, garage, or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, at that point, that's when I was starting to realize how, you know, how graphic this movie is really being subtly, you know, so. Yeah. And, okay, here's what I thought. I thought this was going to be the payoff. Lecter's purposely gave the address to the Tooth Fairy, and he says something like, kill them all, which I was like, oh, my gosh, that's pretty upsetting. Yeah, and because the boys like mom, someone outside, um, Graham is getting on a plane trying to get to his family. I'm like, oh man, okay, is this going to be like the climax of the movie? Uh, which would have been too short of a movie. Oh yeah, definitely. But I don't know. It felt it felt like this was going to be the climax or something, and they were going to mm-hmm. find him, and and then and then it just it got stupid. The officer's like, "Ma'am, are you all right?" Just opening up the door, scaring the crap out of the poor mom, and. I'm like, no, you just scared the poop out of her. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that, that officer wasn't even that good of an actor anyways. Like, <laughs> Are you all right? Hello? I think you should go back inside. Ma'am, I think you should go back. 
Yeah, honestly, I do actually like the scene in that he gets his family out of there. Yes. To be oh, honest yeah, with you, no, I do like no, that because... I did not want anything to happen to his family at all. I was like, oh, I'm going to be upset. Yeah, because we know they have a past. Once, you know, Lecter figures out his address, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, crap, this isn't good. You know, because we know how smart he is mm-hmm. and we don't know what he's going to do with it, you know? Yes. So I, I do like that a lot. Um, that he gets his family out of there and moves them to somewhere else, you know? And they're all confused, like, how long are we going to be here? And they're very, you know, and he's like, yeah, it's going to, I don't know how long... Until I figure out the investigation, ever, but yeah, I, I do like how he gets his family out of there, and it does make for a pretty, pretty tense sequence. It, it was tense, and but but there's tons of officers there, so it didn't pay off the way I thought yeah. it was going to pay off. Yeah, I mean, I was okay with the outer ended, but sure. yeah, I agree. And I will say, his wife is the most understanding wife ever. Yeah, she's pretty but over understanding. Because she's I'd say. like, oh, I don't mind, you know, it's all good. Right. I don't know. I feel like she knows the past between them because he... I, mean, I feel like she should know the past that Will and Lecter have with each other mm-hmm. because he quit his job for a long time. So, I mean, I guess in that sense it makes sense. Yes. But at the same time, it is... I mean, wouldn't you be a little bit more concerned that, you know, the guy who made your husband quit his job is, you know, now has your, your home move. address? Yeah. They have to go into hiding. Yeah. So I, and that's an issue I had between the actors. Um, there was really, I felt not any chemistry between these two. Mm-hmm. And what chemistry there had, there was some in the beginning, like when they were in bed together. But right. then, but then I'm just like, no. And this is where I also, I'm skipping ahead just slightly because there's one thing I want to talk about it before. But they they kind of act almost like, they don't know each other, kind of like they're strangers, and they're his acting is really wooden. Like they're just so wooden together. I feel. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. They're they're both kind of wooden. I guess I can see why he's more wooden because he does not want to be on this case at all. Yeah, but he just doesn't like like him and his wife when they're sitting on the dock. They're like so far apart. They're not even close. Like they're strangers and. I don't know. I thought they had a better marriage than that, unless this in case is affecting it. But I, I don't know. Very wooden dialogue. Very Honestly, I, I'm going to be on the complete opposite end. I actually like this scene when they're on the dock talking to each other. I That's a... <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Oh, okay. Um, okay, I have on here, in my notes, I have this, I wrote down the scene, I said, I like this scene between main character and wife. It shows that he's taking charge for the good of others to arrest the bad guy. Mm. That's what I put down. Wow. I put it on the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're reading this movie two different ways then or something because I I actually did like this scene. It shows that, you know, he's trying to protect other people uh, okay. from this guy because he knows what this guy can do. Yeah. You know, he knows what Hannah Blackter can do. Right. But, okay, before this, we get a fun scene at the grocery store, which oh, yeah. I thought it was so funny. Um, I mean, I did like how he was trying to explain it to his son in a way his son would understand. And his son yeah. almost seemed a little like he was a little warped, like he didn't have understanding. He's like, are you going to kill him? And says like, no, right. it's not my job. I don't I don't kill people. You know, I just try and catch him. Right. And I, right. I liked how he said, I try to build feelings in my imagination like the killer would to help me find him. And and we get kind of a creepy backstory where he had to go to a mental ward and he He's like, I still had Hannibal Lecter's thoughts going around in my head. And I'm like, oh, gosh, right. that's horrible because these people think the most psycho insane thoughts oh, yeah. ever. Right. And especially someone like Hannibal Lecter, like I would not want to know what his thoughts are. I, I don't. He's that scary. Especially you know? the tooth fairy with 
he puts like the glass in their eyes so he can see the reflection of himself and just right, very yeah. very bizarre things which i still don't even understand i don't know yeah but yeah this movie does definitely helps with repeat viewing so fully understand it yeah like i said before <laughs> there's a scene in the grocery store at the, the very ending of the grocery store where i felt like this could be it was like i feel like product placement and then it felt like an old 80s commercial are you kidding me? I know. All the product placements. I love that. <laughs> I don't know. That would kind of be an awesome trailer if they would have just lifted this scene right out of there and then just yeah. like over like overimposed the titles over the scene just like Manhunter. Like that would like really yeah. get people interested, I think. Yeah, I I think that would do that. You mentioned it. I, <laughs> I think that'd be kind of a cool idea. <laughs> but I love it when he's like, You like that Folger stuff, right? Mom does too. Uh-huh. When can we go home, Dad? And they're just like just getting the Folgers, walking away in the grocery store. I'm like, this is like a commercial. This is weird. <laughs> there is a lot of product placement well, sound, funny. it seems like, here. A bit, maybe a bit too much. Yes. But, I mean, it doesn't hinder the story too much, I don't think. It's not too bad. Yeah. But, okay, honestly, it's right after this where I just, I decided I don't care about this movie anymore. <laughs> I just, yeah. I was done. I shut down. It really wasn't that intriguing. It felt so long. I was like so surprised at how long this was. And yeah. I put, is this about the serial killer question mark? And it's kind of like we discussed before. Like you said, it's it's kind of not. It's kind of about Will Graham. Yeah. And so I was kind of disappointed with that because they set up, I feel like they set up a lot of really intriguing concepts with his red dragon obsession and like transforming right. and becoming something else. And he's like transforming his victims or something a lot of that but i just feel like it's not paying off and i and i put down what is this movie about what it, i don't know so right. i was pretty lost at this point and and it's kind of a bummer because this is the this is right at the point when we get to finally see dollar hide probably and focus on him for a while but it's at this point i'm like it's just too late you've introduced him way too late we are over an hour into this movie and mm -hmm. i was just i was bummed about that because i mean as you can tell i enjoyed this movie up to a certain point but then it really just lost steam for me it lost intrigue it lost interest i didn't care about the characters that much i just felt like they weren't as solid characters as i would have liked especially with uh dollar hide the tooth fairy because i just feel like we didn't know enough about his motive and maybe we got that later on i don't know but that didn't give me any purpose to keep going and i mean i, I really debated whether i'll say it right now listeners i shut the movie off not because it was a bad movie yeah. no this movie is not bad by any stretch of the imagination it just the pacing slows down to such a point that I really just lost interest and I'm and I clicked the time marker and there was 43 minutes left and I'm like holy cow are you kidding me there's 43 minutes left of this movie I was shocked I don't know I I wanted to give it a chance and I was bummed because I basically didn't get to see anything with the killer with dollar hide because that he's like he gets his like spotlight the last half hour of the film but so I jumped off at the point where I don't, I don't even remember her name, so I just wrote Pam Landy, <laughs> where she's feeling the tiger. Yeah. I'm like, what the heck? Okay, I'm done. Yeah. Click, okay, done. I'll say this. <laughs> okay, all the questions that you have are kind of answered. I just didn't care to um, sit around to figure them out, though. Yeah, no. I, okay, I'll, I'm going to say this because 
it might sway your decision to go back and watch, like finish it or not, because it might. <laughs> this, this movie gets really weird at this point, like really weird. And if you like listen to the okay, podcast, and that's what I want. Yeah, and you know the she pets the tiger and stuff, and it's like okay, that's kind of strange, you know. Mm-hmm. But then the movie goes on and on and on, and it gets starts getting like really weird, mm-hmm. and things start happening because we now we were introduced to Dollar Hide. And at this point, we're starting to understand you know, what's going through his mind and stuff. And so things do get weird. And there's a reason for it that they get weird. But all the questions that you have are, I think, if I remember right, they're all pretty much answered towards the end. There's a reason why Dollar High is doing the things he's doing. And in fact, it's something that I do like better than Silence of the Lambs, okay. to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Um, I feel like it hits a bit. I feel like it doesn't hit a, a note that's just disturbing but hits a note that's also kind of like true for like, you know, people that are watching the movie, mm-hmm, okay. you know? Yeah. And if you want, and if you go back and watch it, I think hopefully you'll, you'll find what they're, they do kind of come out and just outright say it. Yeah. But it, it works. I feel like it works for the movie and I feel like it works for the villain because it doesn't make him some psychopath like in Sons of the Lambs. And I really wanted to know, I was really intrigued because like you're saying, I think there was so much more to this killer than there is with Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Buffalo I Bill is kind of with that. a little shallow, his his meaning. But this, there was something really crazy behind him wanting to, like, transform into the dragon or something and, like, transform his yeah. victims and look at them and bite them and see the reflection in their eyes or something. Yeah. There was so much to it, but I just, I can't make any sense of it. And maybe that's because yeah. I haven't finished it and I missed it. So I was really bummed about that. Yeah, I I would I would really implore you to go back and just finish it. I really want to know what you think. Just finish because there's only 45 minutes left, and that's when the movie kind of picks up in pace and things really start happening again. Starting to you know put pieces back together of right. the movie. Okay, and things happen. But okay, I'll I'll go ahead and give my final thoughts, and I'll preface this. Yeah. With here at Silver Screen Guide, we have a couple of rules when reviewing uh, franchises and uh, movies in general. When we're doing when we're reviewing a franchise. If we give it a not recommend, then we won't continue with the franchise unless we want to. And right. in this case, I want to review Silence of the Lambs, absolutely, and Red Dragon. And we also have uh, another rule that if we jump off the podcast, meaning that we if we shut the movie off, then we'll jump off the podcast and we'll let the other reviewer continue on with the review and they'll give their review and final thoughts and give it a rating. So at this point, I am going to give my final thoughts. Then I'm going to jump off the podcast and I'm going to let Alan finish up talking about the movie, what he thought of it. He'll give his final thoughts and a rating. I, I'm kind of, I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's, it would be proper for me to give this film a rating since I didn't watch the whole thing. Right. Yeah. So it's probably not good, idea. but I will say here's, here's just my final thoughts. I'd say Manhunter majorly suffers from an unbalanced plot and slow pacing. Will Graham starts off as an intriguing character, but ultimately becomes an impersonal wooden character. A major issue is the lack of balance between detective and serial killer. And the audience gets vague snippets of what the killer has done, and it is frightening and disturbing, but we don't see any of it, so therefore it frustratingly keeps the audience in the dark. And I... I don't want to like fully justify that statement because I do like leaving it up to the imagination. But like I said, I'm well over an hour into this film. I really haven't seen him kill anyone. I don't really count. I mean, he kind of bites that guy, cuts away though, and he lights him on fire. I don't know. That's just not what I felt I was promised because we got these really kind of disturbing 
setups and like bloody rooms in the beginning and i'm over an hour in and i'm like okay you gotta give me a little more than this so and i like i like i said earlier with 43 minutes left of the movie i did not care to see how it ended and i did not feel it warranted nearly an hour like almost an hour more of my time to see how this wrapped up and figured out so honestly i have to give manhunter a not recommend i mean i guess i guess it kind of makes sense um, being that, you know, you had to hop off early, but yeah. Alan can at least see, at least see where I'm coming from. And yeah, I mean, cause if this was like, I don't know, name, like just a brilliant, amazing movie, then, then no, we would completely disagree. Like I wouldn't jump off on that, but honestly, compared to the sequel that we're getting, it just wasn't doing it for me. And maybe if I hadn't seen Silence of the Lambs yet, I would have been more intrigued and stuck with it. But I'm not mm. I'm not so sure about that just because these characters, it really was too slow for me. And I really, with that much time left, felt they were dragging things out way too much. And they should have done a lot of more cutting, maybe have made this closer to an hour and a half instead of two hours with an extra 30 minutes of stuff that I really felt like we didn't. Plus, it, like I just said, it really felt almost unbalanced to me. It was so Will Graham heavy, and I felt the Tooth Fairy played backseat, just played second string to this, honestly. But those are my thoughts. I did like this film up to a point. This is the very first um, podcast review where I have shut the movie off. Not because it was bad, just because it wasn't holding my interest. The very first, definitely probably not going to be the last. (laughs) Yeah. But... (laughs) I, I am, listeners, I am really, really looking forward to coming back next time to review the multiple Academy Award winning film, The Silence of the Lambs, which I feel is far superior. I'll save those thoughts for next time. But Alan, thank you for doing at least this partial review with me. Yeah. And I look <laughs> forward to going back and listening to this and hearing your thoughts and hearing your rating for this film i'm really intrigued to see what kind of rating you'll give this film and hearing your final thoughts and hearing what else you have to say if i do go back and watch this i will um tack that on to the post on the website i'll give a final updated i'll give an updated score since i didn't give a score for this and whether that changes my not recommend or not and i'll mm-hmm. give a, a quick final thoughts with that if i go back but i guess i'll keep you guys in suspense See if I do decide to go back and give 43 minutes of my time to... I mean, think about it this way. It's only 43 minutes, so... Right, but then again, I'm also thinking that we're going to be doing Manhunter, which, from what I heard, is more faithful adaption of the source material and has much better actors. And So that's that's why I'm kind of holding off whether I should go back and watch Manhunter because I know I'm going to watch Red Dragon, and I'm really hoping that will right the wrongs and justify the movie for me in the plot so right right i don't know we'll have to see i'll keep you in suspense but all right, all right thanks, thanks alan <laughs> look forward to hearing <laughs> yeah <laughs> look forward to hearing your review but okay until next time i'll see you back for silence of the lambs sounds good see you later okay, man see ya bye okay so it was right after this scene that we were just talking about um we're introduced to Joanne Allen for the first time, right? And at this point, I'm just like, Joanne Allen, this late? You know, we only have like 45 minutes left. This is kind of interesting to introduce her character now, you know? It's kind of, it's really weird. So anyways, we find out that Joanne Allen is blind, right? 
And at first I was confused. I didn't really understand, you know, what was going on. She, Cause she says, can't touch your face. I was like, what? This is getting, this is getting weird. Cause it was already kind of getting weird in the first place. And so she like starts, starts to go try and feel his face, dollar hides face. And he like grabs her hand, like puts it down. And I just want to touch his face, whatever. So anyways, we find out she's blind. And so they're talking everything. And then she says to him, you're very direct. I like that in the man. And I was like, that's kind of weird. And so then he says, can I take you for a drive? I want to take you somewhere special, essentially. And so she takes it. He takes her to go pet a tiger, I think. And and it, it starts getting weird because the, the tiger is like laying on this table or whatever. Anyways, moving on. So then she takes her back to his apartment and they have um, relations. And it's really weird because um, <laughs> we do not know anything about Joanne Allen's character in the slightest and it, it just things it, it's just weird the whole this part from here to the end of the movie things are just weird because now we're seeing dollar hyde for who he really is and we're introduced to this villain who we've been like talking about for the whole movie and now we get to see you know what he's doing it's just uh, is really freaky and kind of disturbing at the same time and at first i was like okay so he's gonna kill her right and he doesn't he doesn't kill her and i thought it was kind of interesting that he keeps her alive because this villain compared to Buffalo Bill and Sansa Lambs, completely different than Sansa Lambs one. He's, I would say he's not as disturbing when it comes to uh, what he's doing, but I'll say this, he at least, he at least has a motive that I can get behind. I'll say that. I can see why he's doing the things that he's doing. And I'll touch on that in a second, because I want to get, I don't want to get to that just yet. Moving on from that, she asks him later in the morning if they would see each other again, I believe, he asked that actually. Anyways, so after that, we get this scene with the main character Will talking to one of the one of the guys. I forget his name, but they're sitting there and they're talking about the case back and forth. And he's almost about to get kicked off the case, I believe. And then the main character starts to figure things out. And he's watching these tapes and he's like piecing things together. And he starts figuring things out. You know, he's like, okay, this is what he's doing. This is what he's doing now. I like that. You know, we're seeing the main character finally after oh an hour and a half. He's finally pulling things together to finish the movie off, you know, and getting to a point where now he can like finally save or go after this villain, you know, that he's been we've been hearing about. And so he figures out from the videotapes that the villain has these tapes, right? And although I do like that he figures this out and it's kind of a twist, I have a few problems with it where he figures out that the villain has seen these tapes, right? And that I can get behind. I like that part. But then he asks the people who keep all the evidence. He asks them to look at the original tapes. And if there is a second label under the one that's already on there. And at that point, I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, wouldn't you know already if there is already a second label there? Like, wouldn't that have been something that y- you would have looked at beforehand? Before, you know, this? So that I thought that was kind of interesting. Doesn't really explain why. I mean, it's small. It doesn't really make any sense. It's not... Like, a big thing. Anyways, moving on from here. So he figures out where Buffalo Bill is somehow. This is where it gets kind of muddled. He figure out... Well, not Buffalo Bill. Dollar Hyde. He figures out where Dollar Hyde is. You cut to Dollar Hyde. He's pulling up to Joanne Allen's house. Right. In his creepy van. And we see Joanne Allen, another dude. He, like, walks her up to her house and, you know, says goodbye to her. And Dollar Hyde gets all jealous, thinking that she uh, she's been cheating on him. So he walks up there and he meets the guy who had uh, let her out and he kills him, right? And at this point, we understand that now he's mad, you know. There's something up with him that's just not right. So he goes in and this is when 
the music here, it's like playing a song and then all of a sudden just randomly cuts out. And it's really kind of a bad cut. Um, it just feels kind of strange and stuff. So at this point, this is when we figure out the villain's motives, right? We figure out through the conversation between Will and the other investigator, I forget his name, the other investigator, we figure out that the villain wants acceptance. And at this point, I've, I sort of piece things together. I'm like, oh, okay. So that makes sense now that he's killing, you know, the people that are there. He's killing the, the people in the story. What he wants out of them is acceptance. He And it says this too, that he looks him in the eye through the glass and he sees himself. He wants that acceptance that they will love him. And I like this because now we have something that the audience can relate to, I feel like, a bit better with than Sons of the Lambs. Because the villain here, the reason why he got in with Joanne Allen in the first place is so that way he can feel accepted. And when he saw... When he saw, like I mentioned earlier, when he sees that Joe and Alan went out with another dude, he gets very jealous of that. And he starts going a bit crazy and he tries to go and kill her. So that makes sense. I understand that part. And I really like this. And I'll, t I'll probably talk a bit more on this on my final thoughts. But I really like this because I feel like it's something that I can get behind and that other people can get behind as well. You know, because it's kind of a serious topic, you know, acceptance. It's kind of an interesting topic as well because this guy, of course, takes it to the extreme. But it also is not something that's like abnormal it's kind of something that's actually rather normal for someone you know to get maybe not kill over acceptance but in this case at least you know do something about it like get really jealous and that makes sense and of course because of this character that we built up the villain that we built up from the beginning to this point it makes sense why he want to go kill that why you want to kill the guy that went out with Joanne Allen. It makes sense because he felt like she accepted him, that he was not accepted by her. It makes sense. So being that he's character and he kills him, I feel like that really works. And it definitely is something that builds his climax. So they figure out where he's at, right? And this is when things start to get very interesting and also kind of weird because the way that they edit this together is he comes in, right? And he's like walking around her house, Joanne Allen's house, and uh, he's starting to really freak her out. And there's like really like random cut, like jump cuts and stuff to where the villain's out of what he's doing whatever. And it just, it feels weird because for one thing, shouldn't Joanne Allen be able to feel the vibrations in the floor of Dollarhide walking around her house? And then another thing, does she just not know the sur her surroundings of her house? Because shouldn't, shouldn't she have lived there for like a long time? I know that usually blind people, they don't like to move very often because they have to learn the new layout of the house, right? So... This kind of confused me because I feel like she would be she should be able to know where he's at in her house by feeling the vibrations. And if not that, then why shouldn't she, ha you know, have her cane with her, you know? Anyways, my second issue with this is that how do the investigators know where Dollar Hyde is at? It does not explain this very well. They just figure out that he's in this one place, but never really fully explain how they know how they got that information. So that's kind of an interesting way. And so... So, anyways, he backs her into the corner. Devil Hyde does. Backs Joan out into the corner, and he's going to kill her. And then the investigators come in. Will busts through the window. And at this point, the music building up to this point was kind of, hey, I didn't really like it that much. It felt kind of weird. And this is where the jump cuts really get, like, crazy, is when they're having the shootout in the apartment, you know, and the jump cuts get kind of crazy, and there's a bit of uh, some slow-mo here. But it's really fast. This scene does not last very long, and it... It's, it kind of leaves things kind of, oh, you know, like, oh, that that's it. That's how Dollar Hyde's going to go out, you know. It kind of just, like, I don't think it completely pays off what, the, what we've been waiting for. But at the same time, this hasn't really been a movie for action. So I guess it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, I wish there was a bit more. It was more to this final scene than what we got. 
in my notes, I have, wow, that was easy. You know, they just cut, put a couple bullet holes in our main character there. And then he, my main character, blows the dollar hide away. And that's us in the scene. So then after that, you know, they save Joanne Allen. And then our main character goes back. And he's wearing some really short shorts showing basically all of his legs. And it's great because it's so 80s. And so he meets up with his family again. And it's really sweet. And everything's the happy ending, everything. And then the credits roll. I do kind of feel like this is kind of an, a little bit of more of an abrupt ending. It does kind of just end. But, I mean, at the same time, it does basically explain every important detail. There are a few things it leaves out, I would say, that aren't fully explained. And maybe that's just because I've only seen it one time. And I do kind of want to go back and watch it again because there's a lot of stuff in this. Although, I do like this movie. And so, I want to go into my final thoughts right now. But this movie definitely engages its audience and you have to realize that if you're going to go into this movie you have to be very awake and thinking because this movie is going to make you think if you like want to understand what the movie's about or the movie's even doing for that matter because there were points at the beginning of this movie where i was super confused and did not realize anything that was happening because the movie doesn't really fully explain its motives it explains characters and events but it doesn't fully explain the motives of the characters and that could be a downfall of the movie. You could probably see that as a downfall of the movie. It didn't bother me too much, kind of a little bit, because it it requires a lot of brain power to understand this movie. I would say it doesn't leave the movie like it doesn't have anything else to talk about, because there's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie. The movie doesn't really take its time and slow down and just focus on one topic. It always focuses on different events and stuff like that that impact the story. So it doesn't spend very much time on different uh, different topics and different events, you know. For me, I like movies that make me think and make me piece things together. That's why I enjoyed this movie a lot. I can understand why Corbin didn't because he wasn't completely getting everything. I will admit the movie does get kind of muddled and kind of like boring there towards like that point where he was talking about. I mean, I was still trying to piece things together and having these slow scenes actually did kind of help because then I could think more while the movie was taking its time to like like a bit more take take a break, you know. In that sense, I liked it. If you like movies that do go deep into characters and stuff, especially its villains or ones that don't really explain everything, you'll like this one. I feel like you will like this one. Uh, there, like I said before, there are a couple of things that I do like about this movie that are like a bit better than Sons of the Lambs. For one, okay, our main character, I feel like Will has a past with Hannibal Lecter. And it's kind of explained, but not not completely explained like what exactly happened, you know, it's, ex it's explained to us that he was one who busted Hannibal Lecter, right? But what this is explained to us exactly is what happened between them and why he, our main character, Will, had to go to a psychiatric uh, hold, whatever, or why he is so messed up because of the Hannibal Lecter. It does touch on it, but it doesn't give us the outright answer. And that's what, kind of what I'm talking about when I say that the movie does give us events, but it doesn't give us reasons behind the events. It gives us that our main character is messed up because of Hannibal Lecter, and we understand why, because when we meet Hannibal Lecter, we can see why he messed up our main character. There, that is definitely something that is brought into the movie, but it doesn't explain, the movie does not explain what Hannibal Lecter did to him. And I like that. The movie doesn't does keep that in suspense and doesn't really explain that. It leaves up to the audience to think, okay, what did Hannibal Lecter really do? And the thing about this movie, though, is that it does not show everything. It shows the aftermath of stuff. It shows, it gives you enough to understand what the characters would do, the villains and stuff. But it doesn't ever show you. It just kind of, it talks about it. And I like that because it leaves it up to the audience to think, uh, okay, 
what would happen. You know, what did he really do to this family? And the movie kind of explains what Dollar Hyde did to the family at the beginning, but never fully explains it to you. Like, it doesn't show you what he did. It explains it to you, but it never shows you what he did. It shows him walking up the stairs and then going in someone's room, then waking up and looking at him, and then it cuts away, and that's all we see of what happened to the situation until the aftermath when we go into the room and see all the blood on the uh, walls and on the bed and stuff. And with those kind of things, if we understand the motive and what the person is capable of, I feel like that does make this movie, or makes movies a lot more interesting and at the same time, a lot more scary. And also the second thing I mentioned earlier is our motive between the villain is that he wants acceptance. And I really like that. And it's actually kind of freaky because it's something that a normal human goes through, right? It's a normal emotion that we want. We want to be accepted. It makes sense, you know? It makes sense this villain wants to be accepted. Of course he takes it to an extreme. That's why we have movies. But I feel like with this motive, it makes things even scarier because it's a normal emotion that we have as a human, you know? So for him to want to be accepted by other people, it makes it scarier because it's a normal human emotion and normal human emotions can be very scary sometimes. So I do like that a lot. Okay, I like this movie, but you just have to realize it's not one that I'm going to be able to watch, just pick it up and be like, okay, I want to watch this today, you know? So I won't just like, I, I would own it. I'm not going to say I'm going to watch it all the time because I definitely won't. It takes a lot out of me to watch this movie because it takes so much brain power to understand it and, and stuff like that and to read into it. So for my final thoughts of this movie, I'm going to say that if you like movies that engage this audience and like movies that uh, make you think, you'll like this movie. And definitely if you like like police investigation movies, this is definitely a good one, I would say. It's not one that... I've definitely seen ones that are a bit more intriguing that are better than this, but it's not bad. In fact, I, I say it's actually good. This is a good movie. I'd say that. This is a good movie. It's very well shot. It's got some pretty good music at times. At other times, it just feels really 80s. I do like how it tells its story, where it doesn't give enough information away, but gives enough for you to understand and to draw your own conclusions. I like that about it. It keeps it interesting to me. But I feel like where this movie does falter is his pacing, as Corbin said. It does have a pretty steady pace, but relaying information and moving on from different situations does get a bit draggy at points. That is kind of a downfall. It is pretty boring in that aspect. For like the first hour and a half, things are fine, right? But it's never like weird. Until we get to where we're really starting to strap down and really focus on Dollar Hide, that's when the movie gets weird. And it kind of does change tones a bit to being like this bit of more of a disturbing story to being like just weird and a bit even more disturbing because we don't exactly, we ne we've never seen Dollar Hyde in action before. And that does make this movie scary or scarier, but at the same time, it's kind of like a different tone and it feels different. And it, it's, it's, it's a really weird conflict between the two tones, two halves of this movie. So you have to realize that when going into this movie. The characters, I mean... Okay, Will is fine. I feel like he does a pretty good job here. I do like that he has a pass with Hannibal Lecter. I really like that. Like, we don't really get to know him very much in terms of what else has he done other than just, you know, Hannibal Lecter. It doesn't really explain too much about that. And that, that's fine. It doesn't really bother me. But his family is where I kind of have the issue with is that the movie does kind of hearken, like, hang on to this family tie, you know. But it doesn't really fully explain the family either. It doesn't. It kind of explains the family to him, and we understand that the family is important to him. But it never really completely gives us a reason to care for the family, the characters, the mother and the son themselves. You know, it doesn't really give us enough. I'd say it doesn't give us enough. 
and also the eight other investigators on the on the case they don't give him very much screen time and i feel like joanne allen is really underutilized in the story she definitely does not get as much screen time as i felt she needed i feel like we probably could have introduced her earlier and talked about her more you know get to build her character a bit more instead of you know 30 minutes from the end introduce this new character that we've never seen before you know I do like Dollar Hyde a lot. I feel like he is a bit more rounded than Buffalo Bill is. They're both great characters, don't get me wrong. But I do feel like Dollar Hyde, I just like his, I don't know, I just like his motivation better. So when it's all said and done, the, the climax of this movie is pretty short. It's nothing crazy. I wouldn't even say it's that surprising either. It's just fun. It's an ending that's just fun. You know, you understand what's going to happen. And whatever you thought was going to happen, it happens. You know, it's it's nothing crazy. So, in the end, I'm going to give this movie a 7 out of 10. And I'm going to give it a mild recommend. It just bothers me that um, I wish it kind of did a bit more with its story. It does kind of get a bit muddled. So... That's what I'm going to give it. I'll give it a mild recommend. I would own this on Blu-ray, actually. I do really want to buy this on Blu-ray. So, anyways, that kind of ends the podcast. Maybe Corbin will add on to this later uh, if he re- when he releases it, if he ever goes back and watches it. So, anyways, thanks, you guys, for uh, joining. I'm glad I actually got to do the closing this time. Um, thanks for joining us for this podcast. Hope to see you for the next one. Next time, it's going to be uh, Silence of the Lambs, which is easily the most popular of this series, I would say. And... Definitely the one that got the most Oscars. So thanks for joining us for this one. Hope to see you in the next one.